Shalom and welcome to this week's Kadima Talk, part two of Servanthood and Serving. You want to be a leader in your community? Serve one another in love. You want to obtain leadership in some organization or move ahead and make a difference in this world? Serve one another in love. He goes on to say in verse 14, for the whole of Torah summed up in this one sentence, love your neighbor as yourself. Our service to Adonai and each other builds and releases unconditional love. And how does the world know us? John 15, 35, everyone will know you are my Talmudim by the fact that you have love for each other. So we serve by getting involved. Stop waiting for someone to give you something. I hear this all the time, generation to generation, that, hey, we, we want our voice. We want our stay in this. We, we want to get into the game. But to do so, to get involved, stop waiting for someone to give you something. Start serving. Let's look at Ezra, who was a servant of the Most High God. In Ezra 7, verse 10, Ezra had set his heart on studying and practicing the Torah of Adonai and teaching Israel the laws and rulings. So we see here, he's got a destiny. He's got a calling upon his life. He understands what God wants him to do. Even at a young age, Ezra was a diligent scholar, motivated to study and excel. Ezra won the respect of many, including the king, Koresh of Persia. Ezra networked and established his connections and influence over time. Ezra's knowledge and political skills were necessary if Jerusalem and the temple would ever be rebuilt and restored. Ezra had immense character and integrity that was built upon years of consistently doing the right thing and serving. Did you catch that? Years of consistently doing the right thing and serving. Not six months, not 18 months, but years. Through this, King Koresh eventually trusted Ezra with great power, resources, and authority. King Koresh acknowledged Ezra's abilities in writing and provided the resources and financing to rebuild the temple and Jerusalem. Ezra was active in Aliyah, the return of our people to Israel, leading many back to Jerusalem from Persia during the temple's restoration. Ezra became a spiritual leader, influencing many to follow him back to Israel and to return to a biblical-based lifestyle. Ezra didn't use his intellect, his education, his power, his authority, and skills for personal gain. Ezra laid down his own will, his own life, his own dreams, and chose to serve God, using all of his talent to restore Jerusalem and the temple. Ezra exemplified incredible leadership qualities with passion and zeal, not for personal gain, but to serve. We witness the same trait in Yeshua, who didn't seek personal gain or lord over the fact that he was the son of God. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, it says, Let your attitude toward one another be governed by your being in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself in that he took the form of a slave, a doulos, by becoming like human beings and when he appeared as a human being. In Mark 10, verses 42 through 45, Yeshua called to them, and said to them, you know that among the goyim, among the Gentiles, those who are supposed to rule them become tyrants and their superiors become dictators. We're seeing this in our society today with this COVID epidemic and lockdown and, and uh, what's happening around the world. We see many of our governors, many of our mayors becoming tyrants, becoming dictators. 
Verse 43, Yeshua said, but among you, his disciples, his Talmudim, it must not be like that. On the contrary, whoever among you wants to be a leader must be your servant. Verse 44, whoever wants to be first among you must become everyone's slave. Verse 45, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Bud Wilkinson, Hall of Famer football coach for the University of Oklahoma, football player, broadcaster, and politician states, if a team is to reach its potential, each player must be willing to subordinate his personal goals to the good of the team. There are teams that embrace an everyone-for-themselves mentality, but if the team is involved in sales, that will work to a certain extent, but it won't bring growth. This mentality will definitely fail if it's employed by a congregation, by a ministry, by any group activity. Successful teams foster an interwoven spirit of subordination and teamwork. Esprit de corps is the key to this. It's the training that becomes their fabric. The football teams of Notre Dame and Penn State are an example, and they are dominant rivals of each other. Notre Dame has the most consensus national championships and has produced more All-Americans than any other football subdivision school. Additionally, seven fighting Irish football players have won the Heisman Trophy. They have won eight national championships. They have the second highest winning percentage in NCAA history. Notre Dame has produced most All-Americans of any college program, including consensus All-Americans. Penn State is one of the most tradition-rich and storied college football programs in the nation. In November of 2008, Penn State became the sixth football subdivision program to win 800 games after defeating Michigan State. Penn State has earned numerous uh, bowl invitations. The Nittany Lions have compiled a record of the highest winning percentage of any Division I football team. There are a few other giants, of course, such as Michigan and USC, to name a few. But if anyone has any talent in football and has ever dreamed of playing in the NFL, certainly either one of these two school programs would be on the top of their list, Penn State and Notre Dame. But these two schools have a very peculiar servant's attitude, which is why we're bringing them up. Notre Dame and Penn State don't put the names of the players on their jerseys. Lou Holtz, former coach at Notre Dame, once said, At Notre Dame, we believe that interlocking ND, Notre Dame, was all the identification you needed. If your priority is a team rather than yourself, what else do you need? So what do we seem here? Winning teams place the team before self. They're willing to sacrifice and serve in their role for a greater goal. 1 Timothy 3.13, and this is from the message translation, but it reads well. Those who do this servant work will come to be highly respected, a real credit to this Yeshua faith. All this is meaningless if you don't have any skin in the game. I've heard for some time, a lot of younger people have a strong desire for change, for reform, yet they're not in the game. They're not involved in the Messianic movement. They're not serving anywhere. And they only want to meet with themselves. This is incredibly dangerous, as we see from Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who as king rejected the advice of the elders. Upon his father's death, he went to his father's uh, advisors, who were elderly, and they said, what should I do to bring peace in the kingdom? And they said, hey, listen, man, your father Solomon, he was quite a heavy-handed in taxes. He said, if you go light on them a little bit, they will serve you and you'll have a unified kingdom and all will be well. Rehoboam then went to his peers, other young people, and asked them. And they said, man, if your dad taxed them like that, 
You'll be three times richer if you do it even harsher, and you'll be the king of kings in this area. But in 1 Kings 12, verse 8, Rehoboam didn't take the advice of the older men that they gave him. Instead, he consulted the young men he'd grown up with who were now his attendants. And listening to and moving forward on the advice of the young and inexperienced caused the kingdom of Israel to divide. Was it God's plan? Yes. But how did it happen? Through a young leader who was unwilling to take the advice of the elderly. Listen, we need the passion and the fire of the youth. We need their zeal. We need their new uh, breath of fresh air, their new ideas. But yet they also need the guidance and the wisdom of the older gray-haired generation. This will only work if we do this together, the door of a door, not at the exclusion of each other. So if you want change, get involved in the game and mentor with someone in leadership. This requires what? Initiative. And there's a few qualities of initiative that I want to go over here because this is key to servant and serving. Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, was in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the capital, that Hanani, one of my kinsmen, came out of Judah with some men, and I asked them about the remnant of Judeans who had escaped the exile and about Jerusalem. And they answered me, the remnant of the exile left there in the province are in great distress and are held in contempt. The walls of Jerusalem are in ruins and its gates have been completely burned up. On hearing this answer, I sat down and wept. I mourned for several days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah was an initiator. He had great discernment. He took the time to ask. Few people ask, hey, you know, what do you need? How's it going? How's it with your family? He had great discernment. He saw, he heard, he understood the situation. He took responsibility. He took initiation for the situation and the problem. In Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 5, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Ardak Shasta the king, it happened that I took the wine and brought it to the king. He was the wine's cupbearer. He's involved in politics. He's on the staff of the king. It said, prior to that, I had never appeared sad in his presence. Verse 2, the king asked, why do you look so sad? You're not sick. So this must be some deep inner grief. And at this point, I became very fearful. Verse three, as I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why shouldn't I look sad when the city, the place where my ancestors' tombs are, lies in ruins and his gates are completely burned up? Verse four, the king asked me, what is it that you want? I prayed to the God of heaven, then said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has won your favor, send me to Judah, the city of my ancestors' tombs, so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah, number two, knew what needed to get done. See, here's the key. You want to get involved. If you see something that needs to be done, do it. I want to share a secret here with you. When we started as a congregation, Rabitzin and I, over 20 years ago, no one came to us and said, hey, we think you should lead a congregation. No one came to us and said, hey, what do you think about getting involved in ministry? You know, we had a divine encounter with God and we went back to our people. We started a Messianic congregation. Now, listen to me. We didn't know there was a movement. I'd never heard of the MJAA. I'd never heard of the UMJC. I'd never heard of Yeshiva. I had no idea. We started in the days when the internet was in its infancy, and you couldn't go online and research what Messianic Judaism was. We didn't know. We were a congregation for two and a half years. We'd come across a CD, actually, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'll be transparent. It was a cassette tape. 
If some of you don't know what that is, you can contact the office here at Congregation Zion's sake. But it was Joel Chernoff's Jew and Gentile song. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. So we looked in the back of the cassette tape, saw the contact information. We called Joel Chernoff. You know, this is the guy who's the president of the MJAA, Joseph Project, one of the major movers and shakers in the Messianic realm. We innocently called him, invited him down to do a concert here in a congregation. He came down. And at that time, we, we were approximately 80 to 90 people. When we first started, we started with 30 people. In a couple of years, we were up to 100, 110 people. And he came, he did the concert, and he's like, man, this is just, you know, how long have you guys been here? He's asking us questions, and he's like, uh, who, who seated you guys? Uh, we're like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, who planted you guys? And we're like, God. And he's like, okay, no, 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 no. Hey, you know, what, was this chosen people? How did, you know, how'd you guys get started? Literally, Joel, God. And he's like, you're kidding me. Uh, no. And he's like, what movements are you connected with? And I looked at him innocently straight in the eye, and I said, what movement? This started a long dialogue, and with a short amount of time, we got involved in the MJAA and the IMCS, and the rest is uh, 19, 18 and a half years of history behind us. Uh, but we saw the need. This is the key, and, and this is what's lost to so many people. Stop, I'm going to say this again, stop waiting for someone to hand you a ministry. Stop waiting for someone to hand you a congregation. If there's a need and there's something in your arena and you can do it, then stand up and do it. Nehemiah knew what needed done, that that wall must be rebuilt. He had a heart's desire. This is the starting point of all achievement. There's got to be a heart's desire. Too many people are spinning their wheels. They're waiting for someone to hand them the golden platter. It's never going to come. Those people then become midlife and older, bitter believers who never see success in the kingdom. You're not waiting on God. He's waiting on you. Get some skin in the game. Number three, Nehemiah had great initiative. He didn't wait for direction or someone to tell him what to do. He acted. This just, this just goes right into what I've been sharing for the last 10 minutes. At first, he was alone, but momentum built, and the vision was caught by others. He had the ability to share that vision. He had great chutzpah. Listen, if he had gone before that king and been rebuked, he would have been executed. What we fail to put into perspective, he did this that he could have possibly lost his life to intercede and stand in the gap, but the Lord showed him great favor. And now we read from the book of Nehemiah profoundly, but had very simple beginnings. Number four, listen, those who initiate, those with initiative, they're risk takers. Nehemiah was a risk taker. His proposal to the king was risky. Asking the king permission Letters of escort, materials, even funds. Great boldness here, but it's risky. To survey the city and wall, Nehemiah had to go at night that no one could see him. The Arab population there were very upset with what he was about to do. If no one did anything, everyone was happy. But when change was brought on, all of a sudden now there's pushback, and he found who the real enemies were. And number five, listen, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Nehemiah made mistakes. Nehemiah brought together men who weren't builders. They were elite, they were royalty, but he brought them together to work the wall. He put men at watch with weapons that weren't soldiers. Sure, mistakes were made, but that's part of the journey. That's how you learn. Don't let a mistake become a place for failure, but let it be a place of learning and falling forward that you then grow and develop your leadership skills and become strong in the Lord. Number six, 
Nehemiah had great chutzpah. He's bold. What Nehemiah lacked in skills, he overcame with zeal and passion. This is so critical. God blessed David to conquer giants and rule Israel, not because David was a gargantuan bodybuilder. He wasn't a WWF wrestler. He was an exceptionally skilled soldier, a classically trained leader. God blessed David because David had great zeal and passion for God. When he confronted the armies of Israel and the giant, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that challenges the armies of the Lord God of Israel? He, he at that time wasn't a great trained uh, leader. He wasn't a warrior or a soldier. He was a simple shepherd. Yet he had great boldness, great chutzpah. And what he lacked in skills, he overcame with zeal and passion, as did Nehemiah. Once there's initiative, once it's begun, teamwork must be put into place. Just like Penn State and Notre Dame don't place the names on the jerseys, Lou Holtz, previous coach for Notre Dame, said, we believe that that identification as the team was all you needed. The team will hold the dream. There's more to this vision and mission empowering, but it remains an individual's show. It will never grow. Nehemiah could not have built the wall himself. Nehemiah could not provide security himself. He couldn't perform both himself. The dream came to pass when the team caught the dream. Are you going to be a complainer? Are you going to be a servant? Do you want to be a world changer or do you want to be inconsequential and sit on the sidelines and watch the kingdom of God move forward? Like all things in the kingdom of God is about choice. You have to choose to serve. You choose to have a heart of servanthood. You choose to make a difference in the world today. And Ms. Pacha, you can make a radical difference but you've got to have boldness. You've got to get skin in the game. You've got to see what needs need to be done and start doing something and stop waiting for someone to give you a golden platter with a golden spoon and feed it to you. Just as I shared with our own congregation, we weren't seated. We saw the need. Nothing was happening in our area, and we started. God did the rest. All you have to do is take that first step and obey and submit yourself to God, and the supernatural will follow. Mishpacha, Take the step. God will bless the rest. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.